Laurie. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are in the house of the Lord, and today is Father's Day. When you stand, just look up to the heavens uh, in, in a building, but look up to the heavens and just tell God, thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. So rise with them and just say, thank you. I'm going to do it with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then we want to hear your voices as we sing his praises. I can see waters raging at my feet. Lives in us, 
Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Woo! Let's pray together. Lord, we're, we're thankful that... Um, we're thankful so much, Lord, for the, the blessings we have in you, and we're thankful that we can look to you as the ultimate father, the ultimate example, and just the epitome of love and sacrifice and concern. Lord, we're here today to celebrate Jesus and what he's done so that we can be a part of your family. Lord, we thank you for the blessings we have and for the opportunity we have to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I want to wish all you dads a happy Father's Day. Enjoy your socks and tie today. And I love ties, by the way. My, my daughter's got me one one time, and she's like, I, I said, I love ties, so it worked out great. But anyway, we're glad that you're here to worship with us today as we celebrate Jesus and the ultimate Father, our Father God. Uh, make sure you fill out your connection card for us. If you're watching online, we ask that you please fill one of those out so we can continue to keep in contact with you. At this time, we'll turn things back to the band, and we're going to continue lifting up the Lord in song together. search the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures that they is never enough then you came along and put me back together
he's the only one who can we can cling on to this verse in John 14 1 Jesus told us don't let your heart be troubled believe in God believe also in me
46 2 tells us, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Than the unbelief, I raise a 
heaven comes to fight for me And I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise Death is defeated, the King is alive I raise a hallelujah With everything inside of me The king is alive. 
Please be seated. That one will wake you up. Well, today we're going to begin a short series in the, on the beautiful Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably one of the better known psalms, even if a person hasn't been to church much. At some point, they probably heard it because they've been at a funeral. A lot of times people use this passage at a funeral to try to bring comfort to the, to the family of, of, who've lost their loved one. But Psalm 23 has so much more to offer than just to comfort one over the loss of a loved one. There's so much more to it. Psalm 23 is a personal confession of love and gratitude from one human soul to God. It's a portrait of God who is, who is astonishingly intimate, kind, protective, and generous with us. The message it offers, the golden key that it holds out is quite simply this. We are invited to live securely in God's love and care for us. That's an invitation that he's giving us. And Psalm 23 kind of gives us that key. You know, in Scripture, I have to admit, sometimes I, I see some things that are quite honestly offensive to me. One, we're called sheep. I, you know, sheep aren't strong. They're not wise. They're not cunning. They can't run fast. They're not smart. They just kind of eat and make noise and make babies. Cute little lambs, by the way. And the thing about sheep is they need, they need help and guidance. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But God is our good shepherd. God tends for us. He cares for us. He plans for us. He provides for us. He guides us. And he stays close to us. In life and in death, we can come to know all this, come to know that all is well because God, our good shepherd, is with us. Our part is to remember who is God and who is not. There's where the difficulty comes. Our part is to rest in, a, in, in God's unfailing love and to follow his faithful guidance and to allow ourselves to receive our good shepherd's personal care. Life gets messed up when we try to switch roles. And I bet if you look at your life, any time that your life has kind of gone down the bad path, it's always been because you've decided to take God's role and try to shepherd yourself. And if a sheep tries to shepherd itself, it ends up getting eaten, walking off a cliff, starving to death, or dying of thirst. And that's kind of what happens to us. This series is going to focus on different aspects of God as our shepherd in our lives, and our calling to give ourselves over to his complete care. See, one of the keys to life, and I've learned this over many decades, is you have to decide who you're going to trust. You have to decide who you're going to trust. Because you can't have a relationship with someone you can't trust. Any of you who have been married to somebody who cheats on you, you know what I'm talking about. You can't trust them. It's hard to have a relationship. If you don't know what they're going to do the next day, 
you really can't go into a depth, deep, intimate relationship because you, you don't know what they're going to do. You're afraid you're going to get hurt. You can't have a relationship with someone you don't trust. The problem, though, with life is that we cannot go it alone, and we cannot enter eternal life on our own. Ultimately, the question you have to ask yourself, and I hope you ask this sooner rather than later. For some of us, we've been around for a while. Hopefully, we made this decision a long time ago. But you've got to ask yourself, what kind of life do you want to live? I'm around people all the time that their lives have been a train wreck. And sometimes they'll blame God for it. Sometimes things have happened outside of what they've done. But more times than not, we're a product of our decisions. We're a product of the choices that we make. And so many times when that's happening to our life and it's going bad, it's because we've made bad decisions. And that's not God's fault. A lot of times we want to blame God. Oh, Lord, it's your fault that I was drinking a lot of alcohol and I went, and go, went driving when I shouldn't have and I killed somebody. That's your fault, God. No, I made some really bad choices when that stuff kind of happens. I've seen so many lives ruined because they thought, you know what? I'm a sheep. I can do it on my own. I can go life on my own. I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. And then that leads to making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and ultimately it leads to their ruin. So once again, what kind of life do you want? If you've had one of those lives where it just is a struggle every time you take a breath, maybe you need to ask yourself, is this what you want? Who are you trusting in your life? Who are you trusting for guiding you in life? Who are you trusting to walk beside you in life? Who are you leaning on for, your, for the decisions that are important in life? What kind of life do you want to have? It cracks me up when I'm around people around a lot of drama. Oh, I hate drama, but they're always in the middle of it. Always. Why? I don't know how I keep finding myself. Well, it's the decisions you make. It's the choices you make. It's who you decide you're going to follow in life. Huh. Psalm 23 pictures a life pictures life, I should say, is deeply secure and richly blessed. Do you want that in your life? Do you want to feel security? Do you want to be able to have rich blessings in your life? I think most people would say, well, yeah, I'd like that. Psalm 23 offers us a panorama of what life can be like when lived with an awareness of God's intimate love for us. This picture of life lived in God's care, it touches our deepest longing and speaks directly to our darkest fears. Perhaps this is why we turn to this psalm over and over and over again. So we're going to read Psalm 23 together. We're going to focus just on verse 1 in the message this morning, but I want to read the whole thing, so it says this. It's a really lengthy six verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all, the, all of my days and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. So from Psalm 1, the first thing I want us to see, very obvious, the Lord. 
David starts this psalm with two words, the Lord. When David writes this psalm, most likely, most of the, most of the, the scholars that I've read on this, they surmise that he was older. He wasn't a young man when he wrote this. He's a man with a, with a lot of experience, with a lot of life behind him. At this point in his life, there's a lot of peace because the wars have been fought, the rebellions have been put down, Goliath had been slain, the bear and the lion had been defeated. David defeated Goliath, by the way, remember, with a sling and five smooth stones. David defeated the bear and the lion before defeating Goliath. So that gave him the confidence to go up against Goliath. As David reflects on his life, because of his life experience, what he's able to do is he is able to place his trust and his focus on the Lord. See, David was humble enough to understand that his victories in life, which were many, were only victories because the Lord was with him. He didn't think, man, look what I did to Goliath. Look what I did to the bear and look what I did to the lion. Look what I did to all these rebellions. Look at, look at me, I, I, me, 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 me. He didn't do that. He was humble. Who do you trust in life? Who do you trust with your life? When David ponders this question, his answer is simple. Two words, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord is the one that he put his, hand, his life in his hands. He said, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. David is overjoyed with the relationship with God as he pours out his heart to us in the 23rd Psalm. Now, what's funny about the 23rd Psalm, sometime when you get a chance, read the 22nd Psalm. In that when David is crying like a little schoolgirl, he's whining to God about everything under the sun, and most likely that was written when he was in the middle of one of his struggles. Matter of fact, Psalm 22, 1, I want to read it to you. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, or I whine, but help seems far away. Now, what's interesting about this is here's David in Psalm 23 singing the joys singing the praises, the Lord is my shepherd, but guess what? When he was going through those dark valleys, Psalm 22 is how he was feeling at the moment. Well, how can that be? Because when we go into the depths of those deep moments, those difficult moments, sometimes we're so focused on the moment we forget who we're with. We forget who's walking with us. We forget that, yeah, this is bad, but we can have victory through Jesus Christ, through our Lord. And so what's funny here is it's not without significance that Psalm 22 and 23 are placed in juxtaposition with each other here. The former is talking about the agony of distress that one feels when they feel abandoned by God. The latter is the joy and the confidence that one feels in daily fellowship with God. It's only when we go to the lows in Psalm 22 that we can rejoice in the joy of Psalm 23. You know... One of the most challenging things for us to do, I believe, is to put trust in God. The reason for that is he's not standing before us. He's not sitting across you know, the, the living room from me or eating lunch with me or we're having a conversation. It's hard to do that, but you know, when you think about it, who was Jesus? God in the flesh, the Son of God, part of the Godhead. Now, Jesus was God in the flesh on this earth. He stood before people. He taught people. They watched his life. And guess what else? He healed people. He raised some people from the dead. When he was ascending into heaven, there were people that said, and according to the scripture, I don't believe this. And I'm like, wow, you're a hard crowd at that point. 
I mean, seriously. Back in the day, you have some of you have to Google him. Jay Leno used to watch him, and he had a, a segment called Impress Ed Asner. And Ed Asner, he'd sit there in this director's chair with a scowl on his face, and he'd bring acts before him, and he'd have to shake his head if he was impressed or like if he wasn't. And that was a tough act, but I tell you what, this, these people that Jesus walked with were even more difficult because he did all these things, but yet how could you walk away not believing him? How could you walk away from that and not put your trust and your life in his hands? The reason for it, it's hard. It's hard to do that. So even when God stood before him, before them, the people, they saw him, they heard him, they ate with him, they watched his life. He did nothing that contradicted, but yet they couldn't trust him. But here's David. David had the opportunity in life to do a lot of things. He put his trust in God. David knew that it was God who carried him and God who made his life victorious. David even saw how God was with him when he failed. Who do you trust with your life on this earth and for your eternity? Who are you following? David's answer was simple, the Lord. Let's look at verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So the next couple words he gives us is this, the shepherd. Who is the Lord to David? Is he some figment? Is he something that he leans on because he's mentally and emotionally weak? No, the Lord is his shepherd. First, the Lord is my shepherd, not some dumb idol of wood or stone, not some dumb impotent thing, not the almighty dollar, not, not anything else that deceives people into thinking that's what they need, but the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, that is David's shepherd. David said, he is my shepherd. Is one's mind capable of a thought greater than this? To think that I'm going to follow the God of the universe. God is his shepherd. Not in the sense of the Western view of a shepherd. The Western view of a shepherd is a shepherd that drives the sheep, just drives them to where they want to go. The Eastern view of a shepherd is one who led their sheep. The Western view was the sheep are willless, they're passive, and so we're going to push them, we're going to push them, we're going to push them, we're going to be a taskmaster, we're going to make them go where we want. The, the, the Eastern view was, no, we're going to lead them. We're going to lead them. You know, tying to Father's Day a little bit, I've seen many fathers ruin their children because they try to drive them instead of lead them. There's a big difference. I can drive my kids to do what's right and myself not doing it. Or I can lead them with my love and my example to the best of my ability. And even when sometimes I mess up, they'll forgive me because they love me. But the thing is, when we have, as parents, as fathers, when we just drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive, that's no way to parent. What are you driving them for? Why don't you lead them? And see, God is David's shepherd. God is not driving David. He's leading David. And when David talks about the, the Lord as his shepherd, he's not dealing with some psychological or some philosophical speculation. Instead, he's, and he's not introducing this matter for debate. He says, okay, I want to have a debate about this. Or he's not uttering a prayer saying, Lord, I hope one day you'll be my shepherd. He's speaking the simple truth that he's realized and that he's lived and that he's experienced. The Lord is my shepherd. 
He speaks here with artless simplicity, without equivocation, and with no inhibitions, making a statement that some might consider presumptuous and arrogant. Oh, the Lord's my shepherd, who's yours? But yet his words are devoid of any spirit of boasting. He is simply giving a spontaneous outcry of one who is overjoyed by the truth that he utters. Now, think about this for a minute. On, on, our, on earth, some of you, unfortunately, have had the experience of having horrific fathers. So when you think of Father's Day, it's really not a time to celebrate. It's really not a joyful thing because you had a piece of garbage for a, for a father. You had a father that drew, drove you, who beat you, who abused you, who treated you terribly. So when you think of Father's Day, you don't have joy in your heart over it. You're like, oh, here we go. For me, thankfully, I didn't have to experience that. My dad, my mom, great. I couldn't ask for better parents. They loved me, still do. They took care of me. They gave me not everything I wanted, thankfully, but everything I needed. And so when I think of Father's Day, it brings joy to my heart because I had a good father. When you think about the Lord being your shepherd, when I just say those words, it brings a smile to me. It brings, I can just feel the joy inside of me because he is my shepherd. It's a great experience. It's a great way to live. It's a joy. It's a reason to celebrate. I don't, I don't go, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't know how you cannot read Psalm 23, partic- well, any of it, without a smile, without joy. But if he's not your shepherd, it's not joyful. If you've got a bad image of God, if you've had an image of God from what sometimes you get from the church, in general, it's, you're like, well, so what? But see, when you have that relationship with God, see, Father's Day is something that brings me joy. I sent my dad a bunch of, he said, the, the, I sent him some chocolate-covered strawberries. My dad's 80, so he's got like everything else he needs. So I said, I'll make him fatter. But he said they were like the size of baseballs. I'm like, man, I'm gonna get me some of those too. But the thing is, I have that joy because I have that relationship, that experience. My dad was my dad even at my lowest points in life. He was with me, and so I know he's there for me. He'll be there for me till the day he dies. And see, when you know that the Lord is your shepherd and you know he's with you and you experience that, it'll bring a smile to your face when you think about this. In Psalm 23, David clearly, David's clear identification of the Lord as a shepherd sets both David and the Lord in contrast to the gods of this world that everybody else was following. But can it be true? Can God be my shepherd? David said the Lord's my shepherd. Not potentially, not just in a moment of crisis or a moment of desperation, but now as an ever-present companion who would continue to be with him through thick and thin. He is my shepherd. And David knew the thick and thin of life. And he was with God to guide him. And folks, this takes trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a passage I've always liked, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your, on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Now, the key to this whole thing of, 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 of this is trust, the first word, trust. 
If you don't trust, you won't follow, you won't listen, you won't leave. I've been watching a flipping show. It's, I think I forgot, it's Flipping 101. Been, I caught it on Max, and I really enjoy it. And Tarek, he, he's, I've watched his shows. He's flipped, I forgot how many houses, tons of them. And this show's about people who are just getting into the business. Now, I was telling my wife the other night when we were watching, I said, you know, if I'm going to flip houses, and, and Tarek, I think he lives in Scottsdale now, if I were to call him and say, hey, I'm going to flip a house, can you help me? And he comes down, you know what I'd do? Whatever he said. Even if I thought, this is stupid, whatever he said. You know why? Because I trust his experience and his judgment. But what kills me on this show is these know-it-alls, a lot of them, when they bring him in, he'd give them some advice. No, I ain't doing that. And then they end up spending more money, wasting more time, because time is money in that business. And I'm, I'm just amazed that you'd bring in this great resource and not believe him. And what that tells me is they don't trust him. They trust themselves more than him. And see, to trust God, I need to build a relationship with him. Now, I've never spent a moment with Mr. El Musa, but I've watched a ton of his shows, enough to where I'm like, I trust this dude. If he came into me and helped, I'd listen to him. You've got to spend time with him. At the shelter, we get abused animals a lot, or like the, the dumpster cats, as I call them, the ones that somebody were basically throwing them in the trash. Um, we took them in, and we've had some other ferals. Like, we've got a feral now. Uh, his name is, um, I just blanked out. Um, I'm sorry. What, what's, the, what, what's the cat in the, in, that hides out all the time? I just lost his name. Doggone it. Luna. There we go, Luna. And Luna's kind of feral. He's a yellow cat. He's a pretty cat. And he sits in this little box with this little female cat we have, and he guards her, man. If I even try to pet her, he's like, <sighs> and spitting at me, man. One day he, he was mad. So I'm in there yesterday because I dropped some supplies off. And the thing is, he is that way because he's feral. He's not been treated well. And so I, by the way, if you have a feral cat, you know how you work with him, get him some squeezies. I got some squeezies out, and he looked at me, and he, because he didn't trust me. So I dropped it down to the little female whose name just slipped my mind. She's a beautiful cat. And she looks at me, and she sniffs it, and I put it by her nose. She starts licking it. I spurt a little more out. And then all of a sudden, Luna's looking at that, and like, whoa, I'm getting in on this. So he starts to lick it at the same time, so I raise it up to him. Anyway, I get them both going at it, and finally I'm thinking, okay, i got to be careful because I don't want to get bit, so I put some on my finger. Because that's, that's the next step you do with them. You get them trusting. You, you, you get them to see that humans aren't horrible. And I did that, and next thing I know, man, they're both licking on my finger. It's so cute. And he was able to do that because when I reached in, he's starting to get a little bit of trust because he's getting some experience with me. Now, what's funny is when I was done... I'd stick my finger back in there, and he was checking it out again, and then when he realized I didn't have anything, he kind of hissed at me one more time. But heck, my cat, Indy, hisses at me some. But the thing is, you, you build trust through relationship. Same with animals. People are the same way. God is the same way. Many don't trust God because they leaned on God to do something they wanted done, and many times it's not bad. Hey, don't let my dad die, or don't let my cat die, or don't let this happen. And the thing didn't come out the way you wanted it. So they think, well, I can't trust him. There are so many bad things that happen in life, it can cause us to be disillusioned, and it can keep us from trusting God, because we have a tendency to think, well, if God doesn't give it me the, what I want the way I want it, therefore he's not there. But I want you to look at the life of David for a moment. It was not all peaches and cream. God told David at a young age, you're going to be the next king. How that didn't inflate him, I don't know. David was a pretty good guy for not doing that. But the next thing you know, he's in the king's court and Saul's trying to kill him. And David's like, wait a minute. I would be, if I was David, wait a minute, God, you said I'm going to be the next king. This dude's trying to kill me. How can I be king if I'm dead? 
doesn't work that way. David ended up on the run from Saul, trying to kill him. And what's funny about that is, at one point, Saul was in a cave relieving himself right in front of David and his men. And his men were going, look, God has given us a Christmas gift. You can whack him right here, and we can go home, and you can be king. And I know the men had to be so discouraged when David said, I'm not laying a hand on God's anointed. See, that took trust, because think about this. You've been on the run. Your life is in danger. The enemy is sitting there relieving himself without, he's defenseless. It would have been so easy to stick a knife in him and end it. But David trusted God so much, he said, that's not my job. God will take care of this. How many of us could, if I'm in that cave, I'm whacking him, I'm telling you right now, he's gone. Because I'm going home to my wife, and I'm going to go home and watch baseball, I'm going to eat, I'm going to have a good time. But see, David had this much trust in God that even when his life was not good, he still trusted God. David had a ton of problems with his kids because he was inattentive. As a matter of fact, one of his kids led a rebellion to try to run him out of town. And he did for a while, but David finally won. David lost a child when he covered up his affair with Bathsheba, when he tried to cover it up. David's life was far from problem-free and perfect. And remember, God said that he has a man after my own heart, and you're thinking, if he's a man after God's own heart, why did God let this stuff happen to him? Because he's living life on earth. He's living on the, in a fallen world. David's life was far from problem-free, yet David trusted in God to be a shepherd. Life is not going to be perfect here. I don't care. It's just not. It's not made to be. Until after the fall, life was never going to be perfect. But guess what? Sometimes our problems come because we self-inflict them. David and Bathsheba. That was self-inflicted. God didn't say, hey, David, sleep with her when she's not your wife and have her, have her husband killed. He didn't do that. David did that to himself. There are other times that we have issues of no fault of our own, like David's issues with Saul. David didn't go up to Saul and say, hey, Saul, I'm the next king. <laughs> you know, as soon as you kick the bucket, I'm taking, this is all mine. He didn't do any of that. He's a victim of some circumstances. Sometimes we're hit because we're not paying attention. David's problems with his kids were because he was not a good father. He was not attentive. He didn't pay attention to them. The tough times in life are not God's fault. They're a result of living in a fallen world. But when the tough times come, what are you going to do? You know, we sang the last song that we sang, Raise a Hallelujah. How many of you are going to sing in the middle of a storm? And storms are problems in life. Woo, that's hard. It's hard. But you know how we can do it? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That should take all anxiety. Notice I say should take all anxiety from us because he's our shepherd. The results don't always turn out the way we want them. David, I'm sure, didn't want that son to die. He didn't want Absalom to die. But God was with him. When the rough times come, who are you going to sing to? Many times we become disillusioned and walk away. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Let's look at verse 1 one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So we see the blessing. Now, Psalm 23 is written from the perspective of a shepherd in Israel. It was the shepherd's job to take the family's flock of sheep in search of food. He would, that meant that they would be going on long journeys with the sheep. It meant living with the sheep day and night. It meant guarding them from predators. It meant finding suitable pastures for them to graze. 
and enough water for them to drink. Being a shepherd meant, meant thinking about the needs of their flock pretty much all the time. Those of you with children, you've probably spent an inordinate amount of time thinking of your kids, even when they're adults. You still don't quit thinking about them because you're always trying to plan for them, you're trying to feed them, you're trying to guide them, you're trying to direct them, you're trying to help them not go off the, in a bad end in life. And see, that's how the shepherd was, because the sheep weren't smart enough to go find food, to go find water. They'd just sit out in the middle of, a, of an empty field and die. That's how they were. What's amazing is when, with our kids, you know, particularly when they get to be teens, they think they know it all. And really what they're doing is they're standing in the middle of the field dying. <laughs> It's our job to, to help be there for them. Seeing God as shepherd should elicit emotions of peace, confidence, and rest. Israel understood the concept of God being a shepherd. A point further solidified when Jesus said, what it was he? I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and verse 11. And his care is there for us. David Kinder in his commentary on Psalms chapters 1 through 72 said this, in the word shepherd, David uses the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms, usually preferring the most distant king, referring to God, deliverer, or the impersonal rock, shield, etc. Whereas the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it. It's guide, physician, and protector. And so throughout the Psalms up to this point, God's our shield, he's our fortress, he's this, a lot of impersonal stuff. Distant, he's our king. But David says, no, he's much more intimate than that. He is our shepherd. The shepherd didn't just put the sheep in the field and leave. He lived with them. He dwelt with them. He led them. He loved them. He took care of their wounds. That's what God does with us. God was conceived, or excuse me, God is that patient God who's unwavering for his, in his care for us. He's that way for us. He's not something that could happen or should happen. He is that right now. The intentionality of God is on display throughout the whole, throughout all of Psalm 23. For many, the task of asking God to provide involves knowing what God longs for in our lives. And so as you get to develop this relationship with God, you know what he wants in your life, and that's what you start asking for. Sometimes when you don't know, the Holy Spirit will ferret it out for us and say, God, this is what they need. This raises an additional question. Does God really care enough to act on our behalf? He's the creator. What's he care? Well, David makes it clear that God does care and that he moves with direct and specific care for us. When he says, I have, I, I'm, I have no need or I shall not be in want, it means that I will not suffer lack of what is needed. My parents made sure that I had everything I needed. They didn't give me everything I always wanted. Good thing, I'd have been a spoiled brat. But they gave me everything that I needed. If I'm in his care, anxiety should be displaced. When I was a kid, I told you this before. You know, we, we, when we're growing up, what do we do? I can't wait to be an adult and get out on my own. I'm telling you, as older I get, I'm thinking that life under mom and dad wasn't actually too bad. Now, if I could bring my wife into that, that would be great. But I didn't have to worry about electric bills. I didn't worry about water bills. I didn't worry about groceries. I just opened the pantry, and magically there was food there. I'd open that fridge. I was like, where'd this come from? I'm going to eat. And my parents would get mad because my brother and I'd eat. We could eat a box of cereal for breakfast each. I mean, Fruit Loops, man, I could slam those bad boys down. Uh, Frosted Flakes, all of that is good. But I didn't have to worry about buying it. My parents took care of it. 
The provision afforded is summarized in the next few passages we'll be looking at over the coming weeks. The line, the Lord is my shepherd, it should give us pause. The one who both authored and sustains life is our shepherd. God is not seen as distant and removed from our situation, but he's right at the heart of our experience. When I do weddings for richer, in health, and for better, is that what we do? No, no. We should be there no matter what. I saw a story of a woman whose husband was dying of cancer, so she left him. After he died, she decided she was going to go on this public walk for cancer. And it just made me so angry. I thought, you are such a loser. You should have been walking with your husband while he was dying. He doesn't give a rip about your fake walk you're doing now to get sympathy. And see, we're to be there together. With God is with us through thick and thin. As husband and wife, we've got to be there for better, for worse, richer, or poor, sickness, and health. Both sides of it. But in our society today, we don't want the other side. But with God, we, he is with us. David was, excuse me, God was with David no matter what he did. Didn't like it, but he was with him. Our thought for this morning, our application thought is simple. What are the implications of God as our shepherd? And how might they apply to how we view ourselves? That's the thought for this morning. Our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God loves you so much. He, he wants to be your shepherd. He makes decisions that, are, that will enhance your life. He sent his son to die on the cross so he could be with you for eternity. You know, we get married. I told my wife got married. I'm shooting for at least 80 years. That'll get me to 100 and 105. You know, I'm looking for that. But in the big scheme of things, 80 years is nothing. God wants to be with us for eternity. For eternity. And he made the provision for it, and it's through Jesus. So if you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, we invite you to come forward during our time of song of decision, where you'll put your faith in God. You'll, you'll confess Jesus as Lord. You'll repent to him of your sins. We'll take you and help you meet him in the baptismal waters where the Bible says your sins are washed away and you receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that tells God, I am yours. And you're going to rise and walk in the newness of life. You're a new creation. If you need that, we offer you that wonderful experience. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And finally this morning, if you're struggling and need prayer, if you want to come up, I'd be glad to have you pray with me. I'll pray with you. But if you have a decision, come forward as we stand and sing what he's done.
beautiful song to lead into communion because this time of our service encapsulates exactly what he's done this time that we take it represents the sacrifice that God made by sending his son to die on the cross but what's amazing is he didn't just stay dead a lot of times when we think of a sacrifice that which is sacrificed stays dead and uh, when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac he knew that it's going to be over, but he also knew that God had the power to do something about it. And in Jesus, God had the power to do something about it. He raised him from the dead. And when we think about this time, it reminds us of the love that God has for us and all that he has done. When we stand before God one day, and for those who reject him, they're going to be without excuse because God will say, what more could I have done? I sent my son for you. And so when we take this cup, we're reminded of the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. When we take this loaf, we're reminded by, of the body, his body that was almost destroyed to get to that point. He did these things because he loves us. And because he loves us, what he's done, death has been defeated through him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have this time of remembrance and this time of celebration. I pray as we take these elements this morning, we look into our hearts, we examine our hearts, and Father, that we, that we just love and appreciate what you've done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have uh, our announcements for this week. Junior high camp takes place this week. So pray for Jerry and his sanity. Pray that no kids get thrown out of the the van or anything. They come back in one piece. No, it'll be great. The kids get to hang with Jerry and they'll have a great week at camp. Um, There's no youth groups and no elementary crew groups until July once camps are finished. Uh, Rogers Group's meeting this evening. We have Young at Heart. The guest speaker is going to be the CEO for Canyon Vista Medical Center. So that should be interesting. The office is closed on Monday for Juneteenth for that celebration. Uh, There's no teen Bible study until July. The adults will meet. And um, Al Brandon's group will not meet again until September. Operation Christmas Child is looking for some items. And you can see that in the bulletin. Stitches of Love is looking for people who are willing to sew sundresses and shorts for Operation Christmas Child. So if you'd like to do that, please get in contact with the office or with Miriam or Brenda. Um, Also, um, we will have our our, um, narrow path will not take place on the second week of July, but I think it's on the third. I think we moved it down one or two weeks, but we've got the sign up getting ready for that. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do kind of a cookout for that one. So we're asking people, we've got on the list, the sign up list for hot dogs, brats, buns, and stuff like that. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, we know that monsoons are starting to come. I think it'll make it more adventurous, actually. I can't wait to get my truck all muddy. But anyway, we'll be doing that. Um, so those are the, uh, you know, my truck loves mud. But anyway, for our prayers, our Spa Plus event was really successful. I mean, the food was fantastic. We had, a, I mean, the cookies and the, it just was great. But. <laughs> but um, the next time maybe you can consult Rusty on when to have that. <laughs> but anyway, we had a great, it was a great time, a lot of fun. Uh, we thank you for everybody who coordinated that event. We have a lot of people we've been praying for for health. We have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins. Um, want to be in prayer for the local schools. Also, we're still praying for Peach's Pantry. They still do not have a location, the last we heard. And we want to lift up Boise Bible College. At this time, let's stand together. And we encourage you to obviously take your prayer bulletin home and so you can be praying for folks. Let's stand together, have a closing word of prayer, and the band will lead us out. Father God, we thank you for the blessings we have in you. And we're so thankful that we can be here to worship today. I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with joy and confidence knowing that you're our shepherd. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.